open enrollment to become Surge Strength Dryland Certified is going on right now, but only for a limited time. Stop being frustrated and wasting time with little or no results with your dryland training. Learn how you can quickly and effectively create a dryland program that gets you results. Visit SurgeStrength.com slash certification to enroll now to become SSDC before it's too late. Now, let's join your host of the Surge Strength Podcast, Chris Ritter. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Surge Strength Podcast. Hope you're doing well. It's exciting time for us here at Surge Strength. If you don't know, if you're not on our email list or following us on social or seeing any of our articles on SwimSwim, you probably don't know, but we are in the middle of open enrollment to become Surge Strength Dryland Certified. That's right. You can earn your SSDC credentials and enroll today. We only do this a few times a year. It's going to go through this coming Tuesday, the 14th of September until midnight Pacific time. Once it's September 15th, you're going to have to wait till next year. So make sure you head on over to our website, surgestrength.com slash certification and enroll so that you can raise the standard of your dryland training program for your team. And on today's podcast, we are talking with a newly minted SSDC coach, Jack Langmead. He's down under in New Zealand, and he was actually able to work with swimmers that made it to the Olympics this past summer, and he credits what he learned in becoming SSDC as part of the program that he was able to put together and help build a better athlete that generated a faster swimmer. So great conversation with Jack. I'd encourage you to think about enrolling to become SSDC. Again, if you miss this chance, you're going to have to wait till next year. So I hope to see you in the Surge Strength Academy and in working your way towards earning those SSDC credentials. But let's jump on in with our conversation with Jack. Dryland Talk. Jack Langmead down under in uh, New Zealand, right, Jack? Yes, correct. Awesome. So yeah, we had to make sure that we were able to coordinate the times being on the opposite <laughs> side of the globe. So appreciate your uh, patience on that, Jack. But yeah, you're a part of the Phoenix Aquatics uh, Club down there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that club and how you got started working with them? Yes. So um, it's a relatively small club um, in comparison to the other clubs in Auckland here in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, but their head coach actually came to the gym um, asking for some help with their team. And I had no swimming background, but I had worked with other sports teams before. So it kind of just led me into there. Um, and I've been with them about, what is it? Almost a year now, almost a year. Oh, very cool. So did you have any trepidation not being a swimmer or was it exciting to you to maybe work with some athletes that you didn't have much experience in the sport? Oh, yeah. I was really excited. Um, yeah. I love taking on new sports. Um, and figuring out all the things with the athletes. And it was also a new age group for me because previously I'd only worked with adults, but this was all youth, 16 and under. So Very that cool. was also and how a long, challenge. How long were you training uh, athletes uh, up until this point that the coach walked into the gym and was looking for help with swimmers? So I had been training athletes about five five years but three years of that was just olympic weightlifting mm -hmm. and then i moved on to different sports 
Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and you mentioned uh, weightlifting in terms of that. It sounded like that helped you a little bit training those Olympic weightlifters for swimming. Can you explain that a little bit to the audience? Cause I think for some of our swim coaches, that's going to sound counterintuitive, but as a fellow strength coach, I, I understand what you're saying, but can it kind mm. of flesh that out a little bit more for the swim coaches? Yeah, for sure. So um, weightlifting is very much rhythm, timing, structure. Um, so we're not talking the deadlift and the bench press. We're talking the snatch and the clean and jerk, right? So it's learning to move your body efficiently, produce power, transferring through the body, um, all of those things which are able to transfer over to swimming very well. Um, let's say, example, would be our snatch. Over here position, we talk a lot about stacking. So we stack our joints on top of each other, produce the best load so we can hold the load. And the water is very similar. Obviously, we're in a, a streamlined position, but the premise is still the same, trying to create the most efficient body position to get through the water. Um, and then with training the youth, young weightlifters, we go through it in the SSD. See, um, it's just all about rhythm, timing, getting their bodies moving, understanding their bodies at a young age, all of that. Um, so yeah, I found a lot of, trade-off between the two, which is interesting. Yeah. And as soon as you, I was reading through those, those notes that totally clicked for me too. And I'm sure you can explain a little bit more how technical those lifts are when you're teaching them. And so therefore I'm sure you really had to establish a foundation of technique before you can really ratchet up the intensity. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, for myself, I think I was on the broomstick for four weeks before I touched the barbell. <laughs> <laughs> when I first start. So yeah, it is a lot of technique, um, which then obviously when we went to the kids, when I started with them, their swim coaches had just been doing their dry land. So they did have a couple of little things I had to iron out. So we just took it way back to the basics, um, learned how to air squat. We did air squats for weeks, learned how to push up, push ups for weeks. Um, so just building that base of technique is really what we focused on there. And what ages of swimmers are you working with here? So I've got two groups. One is, I think the youngest is eight, oldest is about 10. So mm -hmm. between eight and 10. And then the next one, it's 10 to about 16. Okay. So there's two different groups I would take. And as a strength coach, what was your mindset in those like four weeks you said where you're just doing air squats did that take a lot of patience on your end or pretty natural walk me into your head a little bit thought process as you're going through that it's it was definitely challenging at the start to keep because i've never had to work on keeping a, a group of kids engaged it's very easy with adults because they understand why and they understand they need to do this mm. but kids just if you look away for a second they're off running around them. so <laughs> it was it was very i had to come up with interesting ways to to almost trick them into learning technique, especially what, the What were some of those tricks you came up with? Like, let's say for the squat example. <clears throat> um, so just like games, like the classic, like bring Sally up, bring Sally down, just classic games where they're almost not thinking about doing the squat, but they're forced to do a squat, really. Mm. Um, and then it's not very orthodox with the weightlifting, but my mentor, he actually does a lot of gymnastics when learning to weightlift, even with adults. So forward rolls, cartwheels, all of that. So we did a lot of that. We still do actually for our warm up. We get the gymnastics mats out and we just get them rolling around and 
all of that for their warm-ups, which works quite well as well because the kids find it fun. I find it fun to make them do crazy things. <laughs> I love it. And how big are these two groups? You guys said it sounds like we got a little bit of a younger, a little bit of older group. How big are the groups generally that you have working with athletes? So in a normal session with the younger group, I'd say it's close to maybe close to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the older group, maybe 15-ish. Yeah, um, so that especially with that, up and down. W- with that younger group, what kind of strategies you talk about, you know, the kids' attention spans compared to adults, right? And every swim coach is yeah. nodding their head right now as they're listening. So <laughs> with 20 of those little guys around, what kind of strategies did you find worked in terms of getting attention, keeping them on track and engaged throughout the workout? Yeah, so I because the whole thing with me as a coach, I really like to talk to my athletes and keep them in the loop the whole way through. So they're not just in the dark. They always know why we're doing things. So it was a little bit harder with the young ones. But what I like to do with them is get them to actually, once I teach them how to do a movement, let's say a squat, I'll get them to teach me and it gets all of them engaged. And then I'll be do silly things and do something completely wrong. And it just keeps them engaged and always thinking about what they're actually doing. And then maybe we'll go pair up and they'll do the same thing and they have to do it to each other. Um, just little things like that. Cause if I just say, go do three rounds of squats, push-ups, and pull-ups, they'll be everywhere running around everywhere. So mm. it's just trying to keep them accountable in little ways like that. Yeah. So it sounds like the peer coaching approach is what you went with. And when you're doing that, especially <clears throat> with the younger kids, how, are, well, I guess, are you limiting how much information you're giving them. And let's continue with like the squat example. Are, are you giving mm. them just one or two cues? Or are you going a little bit more? Walk me through how you're thinking about teaching them, especially knowing then you're going to turn them to coach each other or coach you. Yeah. So normally with the younger ones, I keep it to about two or three, so two or three main things. And then once I see that they do that every single time, maybe a couple of weeks down, we might add another one and take one out. Um, mm. I think the main ones to start with was just really basic, like heels down, squat as low as you can, and then chest up or one mm-hmm. of the three, you know? No, I like it. Yeah. Keeping it simple <clears throat> is able then to allow you, I'm sure probably to progress a little faster than if you gave them 10 cues to start and you're going to get frustrated and their kids are probably going to not pay attention. Have you had to learn that the hard way or <laughs> were you just smart enough not to even try that <laughs> in the first place? Well, I think again, with weightlifting, it came naturally because Mm. weightlifting, we would only give someone two or three cues, even adults, you just give them one or two, even um, just to focus on um, because otherwise it just, if you do one or two things really good, rather than five things, mediocre, you'll get through a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. And you said you've been working for the swimmers for what, about a year you said now? Yeah. I think about a year now. Yeah. Okay. So just since, uh, you know, the world has changed forever. (laughs) (laughs) So what kind of improvements have you seen in the kids? I'm sure their meets have been a little bit different if any, but what have you seen, especially in the gym in terms of how different they looked from a year ago to now? So the biggest things I've seen is their, not so much their physical changes, Mm-hmm. But I see a big change in their mindset. Mm-hmm. So I don't think before they really knew 
the why, the why we're doing things, but now there's a lot more intent with everything we do. Um, and then the, what that leads to is, because I only see them three hours a week, that leads to them also thinking about the other 24 hours in the day, what they're doing. Um, and then, yeah, we've got a lot of new medals coming up. Obviously, Haley reached her Olympic time, which is really cool. Um, mobility as well. It's, it always blows my mind. The kids these days who just physically cannot get into a squat. Like when I was a kid, it was everyone could squat. Everyone was running around, climbing, squatting. But now 50% of them have hunched over shoulders and can't squat. So that was a big challenge to get through. And have the have the coaches uh, relayed to you any changes they're seeing in the water? What kind of communication do you have with them? Yeah, so we talk on a regular basis. We always catch up for coffees. Um, but yeah, they've said they've noticed a big difference of their, their energy in the water mm. um, because all of the sessions we do are always before they swim. Um, so it does take a bit of communication to, to figure out what the swimmer's intent in the water is because mm. I don't want to destroy them on the land if they're going to do a hard set so that's quite important to get right um but yeah and how do you balance that with the coaches because that's a big thing for a lot of coaches that especially in the states i know that the schedules are kind of set and whether it's dryland always before or always after and so especially when you're going before we always talk about, and you know this going through the certification that whatever goes first kind of automatically has the priority and so you kind of have leftovers in whatever you're doing the second session. How have you and the swim coaches balanced that? And I'm sure there's a little bit of, of give and take and compromise with that. Yeah. So that was the hard part. Um, Cause like you said, um, whatever comes first is a priority, but obviously since our sessions are always first, we can't just always prioritize the dry land. So normally the club has slightly more like kick set focus or upper body focus sessions. So I would try and structure it to work a little bit if they have a hard kick set we'll try and do a bit more upper body um and if they maybe if they're tapering for a meet well, we'll just tape a dry end as well so it's always just trying to work around the swimmers but also if i walk in and have a hard session planned and the kids walk in at 6 a.m just looking like death like they're all knackered they're all tired i just change it like we just kind of go on the fly a little bit if they look really flat then we just maybe do a bit more mobility and do some funner things to, to hype them up a little bit. Yeah. That's a great strategy to take as a coach, but I'm sure you had to kind of develop into that. I know I did from a coach in terms of, I used to be very rigid of, all right, here's the plan. Here's the plan. Talk to mm. me about how you've come to understand, to read your athletes and then adapt the workout, but still be assured that they're going to get in the work over the long haul. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what, how that started or why I started doing it, but I have done group classes for a while. Um, and again, working with weightlifting, it's quite, it's quite an intense sport. So you, you do notice the little changes in the athletes. Mm. Like if they're a little off, it's really easy to pick up. Um, yeah, I'm not, to be honest, couldn't answer that. I just, <laughs> no, I, I just, I if bet I see the them looking flat then. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Jack, to interrupt you, but I, I'm sure the, the value of, 
coaching such a complex thing like Olympic weightlifting, you, you do have to be very finely in tuned with your athletes and how they're feeling because mm. one rep could really be a disaster in terms of, yes. you know, if we're, if we're doing, you know, bent over row or something like that, that's mm. obviously much less of a risky exercise. I want to go back to something you said earlier about the difference in the kids and them understanding the why a little bit more. And especially from you not having the swimming background, I'm curious, what did you prioritize or how did you talk to and make sure you were able to connect with the athletes that I'm sure at some level, they knew you weren't a swimmer, but you have to gain their trust and the trust of the coaches. Walk me through that process a little bit more. Yeah. So that was definitely interesting for me. I, it did take a little bit of research on my behalf. Um, but before I did the SSDC, it was just Googling, finding out um, <laughs> the most important things with swimming. And, um, but I think with, I think I mentioned it in the sheet, with weightlifting, you develop quite a good eye for, for biomechanical movements. So just by watching the swimming, watching the kids swim, it's quite easy to pick up. I could tell the good swimmers from the bad. I don't know why, but I could just see what was happening and it just didn't look right to me. Mm. Um, and then with that, I would chat to the coaches about, Hey, like that kid there, like, is that wrong? Or is that like, right. It looks wrong to me. And he's like, yeah, that's wrong. Um, so just, I didn't go too in depth with the kids obviously. Cause yeah, especially the older ones, they know, I don't know much about swimming. So I try and keep <laughs> it to the, to the dry land. Um, but they're all pretty understanding and they listen to me, which is good. Sometimes they teach me things, which is also handy. Yeah. And, and how did you know what you're doing was working, so to speak? Obviously, the communication with the coaches, their feedback, but was there anything you were doing on a regular or whatever interval basis that you could tell, oh, we're really making a difference here in maybe the first month to two or however long you started to see a change? Yeah. So every school holidays, which was, what is that, every six or so weeks, we would do a testing session. So all of our trainings throughout the, the year we do at the um, pool. So they have a little setup next to the pool. Um, and then in the holidays, we bring them all to the gym, which is quite cool for them. They get a bit of a trip out. It's exciting. Um, and we do a full testing session. Um, okay. Each time we test 80% similar things. And then sometimes we add some new ones in. Uh, but each time they've improved. So that's good for me to see. But it's also really good for them because it keeps them knowing that what they do is working and it keeps them coming back for more, which is good. Cool. Let, let's dive in a little bit more about what you're testing. Cause you said it changes sometimes. So I'm assuming there are at least some points where you're doing the performance tests we talked about in the certification, but walk me through, you know, maybe what a couple cycles of that testing looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, the first one, if I remember, it was the very, the very basic ones. Like you had your broad jump, vertical mm -hmm. jump, push up test, plank test. Um, what else was there? A bunch of mobility tests as well um and then the next time we dropped most of the mobility ones because mm. i'd seen quite good improvement and then we only had and an is hour that, so it, it was kind so, of sorry jack is the improvement like are they doing those on a regular workout basis and so as a coach you're just observing the group it's not necessarily a testing thing that you're seeing the difference yes yes correct okay. yeah um and then we added I can't even remember what we added, but we added some new ones that I've um, learned in the in the certificate and the SSDC. Um, and then our most recent one 
we went back and did the same as the first first time and we saw some massive improvements because mm. it had been quite a long time since that what how'd the kids respond when they started seeing stuff like that yeah that was very exciting because they all got their own bit of paper and they write out their results and um they're all quite excited by their their increases and then everything with that age turns into a competition so everyone's trying to find out who did the best and that's cool just trying to keep it as fun as possible i think for the kids that's cool what's most important yeah so let's talk about uh this one swimmer you already mentioned her Haley. sounds pretty special in terms of what she was able to accomplish walk us through when you started working with her the training and then what she was able to ultimately accomplish with you yeah so i met her once i got to phoenix aquatics i wasn't coaching her at phoenix aquatics with the kids obviously she was a bit older um but then the head coach came to me and said hey we want to do some extra stuff for these there's two of them um vanessa and Haley. Uh, so they started coming along to the gym and Haley had tried there's a place called aut here in auckland basically it's just a high performance center she'd tried the really high specialized stuff before and it just didn't really work for her she didn't notice much improvement. So she came and just wanted to try some just back to the basics, foundational strength training that's not swimming specific. So just building up athleticism, exactly like you talk about. Um, and she started seeing really good results with that. Uh, so then down the line, she maybe came to the gym for a couple months and then she hit her qualification. So I was like, okay, cool. Now we need to really dialed in a little bit <laughs> is the pressure on now were you feeling the pressure yeah, a little yeah, bit? yeah. <laughs> so i was like oh wow okay so i think we had from memory nine weeks before she flew out so i did our nine-week program um but because i hadn't worked with her one-on-one previously um i didn't want to add anything completely new to her nine weeks out from the olympics so we kept it very similar and the goal was more to elevate her swimming performance so we were just doing decent activations mobilities and some power drills throughout the nine weeks just to keep her body going through her hard swim sets as we went along jack that's a really mature thing as a coach to know all right in terms of nine weeks i can't change a lot can you walk through how you almost prioritize or decide which what is worth changing and, and the plus minuses, if you will? Because I think that's a really good thing you pointed out there. And I know it took me a while as a strength coach or even as a swim coach to understand the nuances of that. Mm. So I'm sure if she listens to this, she'll agree with me. She, <laughs> she has very poor mobility, especially in her upper body. Um, for an Olympic swimmer, it was pretty poor. So the biggest thing for us was trying to, if we could get a little bit more range of motion out of her shoulders, mm. that's going to be one, the safest way to prevent a chance of injuring herself as in her lead up. And also it's going to provide the most benefit without getting, I don't know, an injury in the gym because we're doing something new or really crazy doms because we've done a new exercise. So it was just the, the best bang for buck was just doing half to session mobility and then some more activation. Um, and then we'd finish with our 
power stuff, but things that we've done before. And it's still kind of crazy to even think and hear, like you said before, she was doing very quote unquote swimming specific things, mm. wasn't seeing much improvement. And now she comes and works with you and you're actually dialing back all the things you could do, right? Like in terms of your coaching menu and, and programming menu, you're trying to app dial it back because you know, all right, we're in a tight time schedule. And just by focusing on the mobility, increasing some athleticism and some power there, you're seeing a lot more results. Mm, yes. Which is, I think it's, it's actually a slight benefit I have having no swimming background sometimes, because mm -hmm. I think I look at things a little bit differently. Um, there may be a swimming coach would look at not a a dryland certified person, but just a swim coach doing dryland mm -hmm. would probably attack it a little bit differently than me, which may work for some people, but then it may not. So yeah, in this what, case, it happened to work. What did her coaches? What, was there much feedback with their coaches at this point in time, and especially when she's changing from a lot of again quote unquote swimming specific exercises now to working with you? And you're dialing it back. What was their feedback, if any, during that time where you're just working on shoulder mobility and other athleticism building things? Yeah, good. Um, they, she was hitting PBs the whole time, which was good. So her actual qualification swim, that was a massive PB, I think. From I can't remember from memory, but I know that was a massive PB. And then in her lead up, as we were doing the range of motion activation stuff, um, she was hitting all kinds of PBs. So I guess there's a sign that was a, a good sign for me. <laughs> so the coaches are probably like, whatever's, whatever you're doing is working, keep doing it. Yeah, he kind of just <laughs> left her to me and just, just keep going. Yeah, That's awesome. That's when you know you have the trust of the coaches when, mm. especially if they know you don't have a swimming background, but they're seeing the results in the water that, okay, hey, Jack, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because it, it's obviously working. Yes. Yeah. And I get a lot of support from the head coach, which is, which is nice. That's awesome. Talk to me about what, again, clearly you had a lot of strength and conditioning experience prior. And, um, you know, when I was putting together the certification, you were absolutely the type of person I was thinking about in terms of have a strength and conditioning background, but maybe just understanding the sport of swimming a little bit more. While as, you know, there are swim coaches that have no experience in strength and conditioning, but they know swimming really well and trying to figure out how to serve both those populations. So mm. given that, that you had a lot of knowledge, was there anything that really stuck out to you as you're going through the curriculum and becoming SSDC that you're like, oh, that's, that helps connect some more dots, whether it's just purely on the strength and conditioning side, or maybe with working with swimmers specifically? I think the biggest thing for me was, because I was already had uh, SNC background, the biggest things came from the, the swimming specific things that you don't find in other in other sports. So like the chapters on training the different age groups, obviously mm. training the younger age group that I learned a lot in that within the course. So that what you're talking more like on the game based thing for the 10 and unders. Yes. Yeah. Like some of those, I uh, nabbed some of those games from there. Um, like the, what one do they like when you lie on the ground and you yell, Right foot, left foot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Foot. yeah, I really enjoy that one. Um, but yeah, I think just uh, I also found it interesting the facts about the, the swimming strokes that stuck in my head. Mm. How many strokes a swimmer would do um, every year. 
which then I could relay that quite well to the ones with shoulder mobility and then say, you know, help them understand why it's important that we have good shoulder mobility. Mm. And what about the planning? Was that able to be helped at all when stuff you were learning? Yes, actually, yeah. Um, so the the macro cycle and the the phases. So I already knew about phases, obviously, but with the, I think with the youth, I potentially had the phases a little bit too long. Okay. Um, yeah, so we would do like four to six weeks of the strength and then the power. Um, so we dialed it back and then we would alternate through a little bit more because I think the kids would get a little bit bored of doing one thing for so long. Mm. Um, so that's what I took out of that one. Yeah, it's an interesting give and take, right? As a strength coach, because you know to get better, we have to keep doing it repeatedly. But at mm. the same time, you got to keep the engagement and the interest of the athletes. What kind of advice do you have for coaches with that? Yeah, so that was something I actually struggled with a lot. Um, because especially with kids, you want to mix it up every session, otherwise they get bored. But then, like you said, you've got to you've got to keep doing the same thing or similar things to to see the progress. So it's just trying to change small nuances with things to keep it still interesting. So to them, it still feels like a new exercise. For instance, like a, you would do, I don't know, an air squat, and then maybe next week we would add a band and would do banded overhead squats. To them, it seems like a new exercise, but the premise is still the, the leg strength, right? So just trying yeah, to slightly change it. And I'm assuming you were somewhat familiar, maybe not specifically with how we divided up like the movement categories, but I'm sure that made sense to you when you're thinking about it. And so for other coaches, maybe that don't have as much experience, it sounds like they, they just, in terms of sticking with the categories, but maybe just going through, all right, if they're a level one athlete, kind of figuring out what's another level one exercise in that category. That, that's kind of what I'm hearing you saying. Mm, yes, exactly. Yeah. So sticking to the categories. Um, it does get quite tough if you're working with a big group mm -hmm. because some of them might be really, really good for their age. And then some of them are just uh, at the lower end. So it's, it's trying to find a good middle ground. If everyone's going to be doing the same thing where it's easily adjustable on the fly to make the, uh, the exercises harder for the older ones or the more advanced ones, but then also easily regressed for the, for the more beginner ones. Mm. Just in terms of the structure and how you plan out your workouts, what does that look like in terms of, you know, let's say whatever the next practice that they're going to come in, how mm -hmm. far in advance have you written that workout and what thought processes you're going through? Again, obviously I'm sure you're following somewhat kind of the checklists and stuff that we give you when you become SSDC, but I'm curious what that actually looks like for you personally. Yeah. So normally I'm, one week ahead. Mm -hmm. So I don't go too far ahead um, just because of well, one. We're talking about, sorry, just to be specific. So the audience, yes. we're talking about like specific, the, the day workouts, not necessarily the season or weekly plan, but on, on the day daily workouts, you're a week ahead on those. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe I, I won't have the full exact numbers, but I'll have a rough idea of what we're going to do. Um, Cause then, it may change on the day. Um, we might go into lockdown. Who knows what's going to happen? So um, we actually just went into lockdown 
a week and a half ago now. So we're in level four lockdown here. Oh man. Yeah. So that, that's another thing. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? How have you managed yeah. that? Cause I'm, I'm sure you guys from what I hear are going into many more lockdowns frequency than us here in the States, for example, I think. Yeah, yes. Yeah. We had a good run, um, but yeah, we're back in <laughs> lockdown now, um, which is quite a shame. Actually they had uh, the nationals here, they're building up. And then on day one, we went into lockdown. So oh no, the kids were pretty gusset about that, but <laughs> We, we've been doing Zoom sessions. We do mm-hmm. them every evening. So we just divvy it up. I don't do it every time. Um, the other coaches do, which, which is good for the kids because they get a bit of a different, every coach is kind of different of how they do their workouts. So it keeps yeah. it interesting for them. Um, and you can't go too wrong with a at-home workout on Zoom. Um, and so do all the kids have any type of equipment or is this completely you know, body weight on your own stuff? Yeah, most of the time we just do body weights because um, we'll have about up to 50 kids sometimes in the Zoom call. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we've got to keep it quite uh, – it depends sometimes. Sometimes I'll say go and find uh, something you can hold in one hand, like a can or a bottle or something, and we'll do some hang snatches or something like that. Um, some kids grab their dog or – yeah. Yeah, Jack, so I'm curious – I remember when I first started coaching on the floor of a gym, working with clients or even a group, that was definitely a skill I had to learn and pick up how to, you know, move with the group or energy or whatever. And I'm sure the same thing is with Zoom. What have you had to learn as a coach? You obviously sound very knowledgeable and able to put it into action in person, but what did, what have you had to learn running Zoom sessions? Yeah. So, I mean, previous to lockdown, I'm not, a lot of coaches are probably the same. I'd never done a Zoom PT before. Um, so it's definitely a challenge because I'm quite a hands-on coach mm-hmm. when I, I will touch their shoulder and you know, to kind of guide them um, or put them in the right positions. Um, so it was quite interesting for me to only be able to use my words um, or try and explain the exercise. Maybe I could do a demo, um, but if I'm in my room, there's not much room in here. Sometimes it just has to be my words. So it was a good challenge to, I think it's actually made my coaching better. Mm. Um, so once, they, once we get out of lockdown, I'm able to vocalize more, which is good. And did you find like you were using fewer, more specific cues or more cues in general? What, what did that actually look like in terms of the, the vocalness of, of your coaching? Definitely fewer, fewer. Mm because the kids are less engaged because they're looking at a screen, not surrounded by people <laughs> and the coach is really there. They've probably got their phone in their hand or the dogs running around. So a couple of, couple of key words. Um, there's always ones that do it completely wrong and you have to go through and <laughs> change it. But most of the time it works quite well with just a couple of cues. No, that's awesome. Well, Jack, anything else that we haven't covered that you wanted to, to talk about either just learning as you're becoming SSDC or just working with swimmers in general. This has been a great conversation, but I want to give you the last word as we close out here. No, I think that's all. Um, uh, Yeah, that's pretty much covers everything, I think. Awesome. What would you say to coaches that are listening that maybe haven't enrolled to become SSDC yet? Why would what benefit would it be to them? And maybe you can speak specifically to the strength coaches that don't have a swimming background like yourself. Yeah. So I think especially if you are already a strength coach 
and you're wondering if you should do it, it really does. It almost takes what you already know and then it kind of enhances it and it's, you're not probably going to learn too much more about the actual exercises itself, but it teaches you how to apply it better to the swimming, which I think that's what it did for me. Um, and especially if you're training multiple age groups, that's where I myself got the most benefit out of it. But it's definitely worth doing, I'd say. If you're coaching any, any swimming dry land, I would highly recommend that's awesome. And I forgot to ask about uh, when we were talking about Haley, is she still continuing on for Paris 2024? No, she's actually, this was her, her final. So oh, I think wow. she's retired now. Yeah. So we're not with the bang. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, That's got to be a yeah. good feeling. Well, Jack, I think we need to check in with you in another year or two and see as you continue to progress in terms of the years with the swimmers and then progressing through the program, that'll be really cool to watch and to check in with you. So we'll have to have you back again sometime on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. I look forward to it. Open enrollment to become Surge Strength Dryland Certified is going on right now. Don't miss out because this is only for a limited time. Learn more about becoming SSDC at surgestrength.com slash certification and join hundreds of coaches and swimmers from dozens of countries around the world that are making a commitment to having Dryland become a true strength of their program.